It's Valentine's Day, Wednesday, February 14th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, recently, it was my privilege to sit down with Kimberly Morita, an advocate for life, adoption, foster care, and most prevalently, an advocate for justice for the oppressed. Kimberly is the wife of Tony Morita, and the Maritas are dear friends of Lifeline and have adopted four children from Ukraine and one child from Ethiopia. Together, they lead Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, where Tony is also an adjunct professor at Southeastern Theological Seminary. So we're just delighted to have Kimberly Marita here and what a great friend she is. And she and her husband, Tony, have just had such a great voice in caring for orphans and caring for the vulnerable and caring for human trafficking victims and our church planners in Raleigh. And Kimberly, just thanks for being here. And really what I'd love you to start about is just your adoption journey, you and Tony's adoption journey, which I know took you to Ukraine to adopt four siblings. Hmm. And the neat part of that intersection is I actually met your kids before Mm. you guys did. I just met them, and I remember telling Sasha, we need to find a family for them. And on the way, driving back to Kiev was when he said, we have their file, and Mm. you guys were getting matched at the same time. Mm. So it's kind of a neat piece, because I was right there when that was happening. So Mm. just talk about the the background of that. Like, how did y'all get called into adoption, and and just this adoption story? Man, it's great to be here. Thank you for... I'm so glad this time worked out to have this conversation. Um, man, I could probably talk for hours and hours about just the grace of God and in inviting us to be a part of His work through adoption itself. Um, it was not really on my radar. We just didn't talk about it in the church. I grew up in the church. Um, and in our adulthood, in our married life, we began to be exposed to it by friends and family members who were walking in their own adoption journey stories. And um, the Lord simultaneously, um, through an event that my husband was asked to preach on through the book of James, mm. the Lord began to just convict him about you know, James one twenty seven, caring for the orphans, visiting orphans in their affliction, and um, we just started to have these conversations about, you know, what we may be a part of all these other good works that the Lord has invited us to be a part of, but I don't even know any orphans, um, and I hadn't even thought about what it could look like to 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 visit orphans in their affliction, and so. My husband will often say, you know, is our theology, not our biology, that led us to a place of adoption. Um, and, and that's so true. There were, there were, we were, you know, trying to get pregnant, um, but trusting the Lord mm. in that. And uh, when in through that, as we were dreaming about what our future family may look like, mm. however the Lord crafted mm. that, um, the message of, of the gospel and the doctrine of adoption just jumped from the pages of scripture and, and we basically, um, my husband arrived first, which is usually the other way around. Um, and, and we'll joke and say he wanted to, uh, adopt a whole team from the, you know, DR potential base, uh, baseball players. Um, and of course I thought, no, I don't know if that's such a good motivation, but, um, we, uh, you know, he said yes. And then I just went before the Lord and said, you know, Lord, I just want to be a part of what your work is, whatever that looks like. And so to me, it was a big part of mm. me just saying, yes, Lord, whatever 
yes means I want to trust you in that. So um, we began the process by, you know, researching where to go. It's, you know, it's a big mm. problem globally. So where do we go? And we um, had wonderful friends around us who had their own stories and spoken to our lives. And then my husband had had the privilege of teaching overseas in Ukraine and had a relationship there. And at the same time, I was becoming aware of um, the issue of modern day slavery and human trafficking mm. and then looked at the, all these statistics in Ukraine of the, the plight for the unadopted, the vulnerable there. And since we had that relationship, you know, it just became clear that Ukraine was just where we wanted to um, pursue adoption. And so began that process, Had uh, didn't know who we were going to use, and we uh, were good friends with David and Heather Platt, and they, um, you know, talked about finding an agency that we really felt a shared heartbeat with. And so I really, in that search, um, came across Lifeline and just loved the holistic heartbeat of caring for, for um women, men, mm. families in crisis. And so there we were. We decided we went with Lifeline and started the process. And uh, it was about 22 months after we began that, that we got a surprising call on a Friday that said, you need to be in country by Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did what we could. We did not know at that time who God had for us and thought that we were going for one or two little kids, our paperwork said, under the age of four. So I, in my heart, thought maybe one child. That's that's scary in and of itself, you know, but uh, two would be a, an incredible blessing. So we arrive in country and we have our, our meeting with the SDA and we are literally sitting in that office and it's like it's all real in that moment. And um, you know that the Lord has brought you to this place and you trust that he is going to carry you through. And uh we looked at some available children and just felt, you know, for whatever reason, that that was not who God had for us and literally thought in my mind, you know, we're going to have to come back because our hour is almost up. And someone came in and said, you know, of course, this is all in Russian, Ukrainian. I don't even know what they're saying. They're all talking about us. It's just our future lives at stake. But anyways, they, they presented this this file of um, a biological sibling set of four children ages four, six, seven, and nine. And it's difficult for me to share this part without breaking down and crying, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> simply just looking at the faces of these children and the Lord who speaks to us through his word and his spirit, you know, in that moment said, um, you know, my plans, you make your plans, but I direct your steps. Mm. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Mm. And my ways are higher than your ways. And it, in that moment, just knew that this this whole adoption process was never about me becoming a mom mm. or Tony becoming a dad. It was about walking. Um, it was all about God and His mm. glory and His adoption yeah. of us. And so we said, yes, we would go meet them. And, and then two days later, we were sitting in the... Uh, uh, I, I don't know, it's all in Russian, Ukrainian, but whoever's office we were in uh, <laughs> had their files out. And they had said literally on that Friday, you know, no one, we, I was going to separate them into different homes because no one comes and adopts these four. And just little evidences of that, that the Lord was affirming that he had a plan for us and he was worthy of trust. And so we met our kids. It was not romantic or anything. So, you know, it's just awkward mm -hmm. when you can't speak the language and they're looking at you and they're trying to explain what this could look like. They um, 
But uh, after we had some interaction with them and uh, the orphanage director said, you know, asked each of them individually if they wanted to be adopted and <laughs> um, which is, is just interesting because it was kind of this, well, if you, you go with them, you get a bike, you get like a bed mm-hmm. your own, in your own clothes, you know, but if you, if you stay here, you don't get any of that, but it's your choice. <laughs> so anyways, it was um, sweet to see them um, not really understand that, but to, you know, agree like, yeah, we want to be adopted. And so they left the room and the director turns to us and says, you know, at that moment, do you want to follow it through with this? And my husband didn't even look at me, and he said yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, he knew, I knew. And so six weeks later, we uh, were able to bring them home. Wow. And then, of course, your journey went and to Ethiopia. Oh, my goodness, To yes. <laughs> round out your family with five children. Uh-huh. And, you know, at the same time as you were even saying, you just, mm. the passion for these human trafficking mm. victims and slavery around mm. the world was beating and you've really become a, an advocate for mm. this. Mm. Talk about how really both of those hand in hand were influencing the ministry that you had and that you and Tony had as a couple. Mm. Well, it's so complex. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to add that sometimes because of the just the, I don't know how to describe, like the, our first adoption, mm. four kids at one time. Um, uh, thank you for bringing in my Ethiopian mm-hmm. because it's so easy to just go, oh my goodness, here we were with four kids and forget. And then we have the privilege of mm. bringing home 15 months later our, our youngest from Ethiopia. So maybe we'll come back to that. But um, prior, you know, literally, Okay, so we came home in May. We got our call of April 2009. So in November of 2008, I had the privilege of traveling overseas with friends who were tasked with um, just helping develop curriculum to put in the hands of Vietnamese pastors uh, ministering to a, a vulnerable population of Vietnamese people mm-hmm. in Cambodia. And so um, I was merely her travel partner in that. I was I didn't have a part of the actual writing project. But as you can imagine, through that experience in both Vietnam and in Cambodia and getting to meet mm-hmm. with different uh, NGOs, nonprofits that were combating different aspects of global injustice in that area, named, largely related to human trafficking um, and sexual abuse, uh, you know, you, I saw things and I heard stories and, um, you know, it's impossible to leave something like that in seeing darkness, um, and not be affected by that. Mm. And so, um, I left that trip, returned back home and just, you know, pled before the Lord, just Lord, what do I do with this? Mm. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a social worker. I'm not any of these things that you would typically, um, associate with doing the work of, um, you know, combating human trafficking, or um, I just want to follow you. And so I'm wrestling with this, and the Lord is working on me in that. And we, I had a friend that advised, you should go to IJM, International Justice Missions Global Prayer Gathering, as they gather with all their office staff in, in the D.C. area. So I was able to participate in that, and it was actually in March 2009, and just left rocked and full of hope at the same time of just seeing how just being reminded of the truth that our God is a God of justice and he is working and he invites us to be a part of that. And we have hope as a result of that. Mm. Um, and so we are all gifted and equipped and called to serve in some capacity. And I knew in that moment, like prayer mm. is foundational to that work. And so I want to join him in that. Um, and so said yes to that and we'll figure this out. And then a week <laughs> later, got our call to go to Ukraine. And so um, what Ukraine and that experience of bringing our children home solidified, if you will, for me, was bringing home 
the faces of four children who um, were abandoned and neglected and abused, and um, it just made it just really real. Mm. And so when I look in the faces of my children, not only my Ukrainians, but my, my Ethiopian who whose parents died when he was a baby, um, I see the voiceless and... You know, the, they say statistically, you know, that so many, our vulnerabilities mm-hmm. create, that these vulnerabilities create the uh, susceptibility to being abused and, and trafficked. And so um, there are so many other children um, and, and vulnerable people that my children represent um, that compel me to continue to, mm-hmm. to, to intersect these, uh, the same people that are doing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ideally that are doing orphan care and orphan prevention are those who are combating, who are taking care of those who have become enslaved mm-hmm. um, and seeking to shore up the gaps in the, the public justice systems to prevent um, that from continuing. And so, um, you know, how it's looked for me specifically, not only that personal, just um, continual fuel, is that uh, opportunities with international justice mission in particular, because um, some of that groundwork was laid when I was in Southeast Asia. Um, and then they have resources and they want to mobilize people in local churches here, even though their work is a global work, their field offices are overseas, they are very much involved with trying to affect policy that that um, strengthens um, you know the law enforcement's capability to to deter um, and uh, so I've been able to participate in that by um, just learning or I should say being reminded that I have a voice we live in a, in a country where um, our government, you know, we the people <laughs> have this voice to speak. Our, our representatives represent us. Mm. And so we, um, you know, should not. It's so tempting to become cynical about the way that our uh, government can can go or not go. But um, uh, my caution um, is just that we would not allow that cynicism to lead to inaction or apathy, but that we would push through that and re- be reminded that um we have a voice and we need to speak truth to power. And so mm. that's um, basically what I've kind of been a part of and yeah. trying to uh, be educated and, and IJM provides those resources and then other local mm. um, organizations in our community on what the laws are and, and opportunities to say, call my congressman or come mm. in person and say, you know, this is uh, an important issue because of these reasons. And, you know, we would ask that we would, you know, lead out and, and, seeking justice in all its many <laughs> caveats. Yeah. Well, that all actually does go full circle to your Ethiopian adoption. Yeah. So God calls you to adopt from Ethiopia, your yeah. youngest. And right now, I mean, even mm. in the last several weeks, Ethiopia has shut down international mm. adoption. Mm. And so I know for us as an organization, our prayer is, mm. well, let's not stop as right. believers right. impacting orphans in yeah. Ethiopia. Because yeah. the orphans didn't go away no. when that, that law went down. They're still there. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, uh, Josh Caldwell, our international director, just got back from Ethiopia mm. with a church partner. And and the kids are all getting put into four institutions. Mm. So so it's it's getting worse, not, wow. not better. Yeah. But but talk a little bit about your adoption from Ethiopia, because mm. we don't want him to get forgotten yeah. in this story. But then also <laughs> just as believers, mm. I, I love, we've got to be doing both and. Mm. We've got to be willing to adopt, and we've got to be willing to look at mm. permanence, but we've mm. also got to have the justice mm-hmm. hand coming oh, right, out. Right, right, right. Yeah. So um, 
in our Ethiopian experience, we were able to go through that process before the laws changed, mm. which I think the laws changed in a favorable way. Um, but we did not have to go and travel for a court date. We were represented. Mm. And so that made our experience um, unlike our Ukrainian mm. experience. Um, so we said in January of um, 2010, um, Interestingly, my husband and I had gone to see the movie The Blind Side, you know, <laughs> which I love. Oh, my gosh. We left that. And we had been having conversations. So it's not like we saw this movie and it was, okay, we're going to go <laughs> adopt from Ethiopia. But um, it was such an – it was just in God's timing, you know, just like, if we're going to do this, let's just do this all at once. And we just – we had Ethiopian um, adopted nieces and nephews and, and other um, family friends. So we just, you know, love the country. And so – we started that adoption process. We chose a child who was older, who, um, you know, was, um, his, uh, the, the, I don't know what the, the classical orphan definition. He was not a social orphan. He was uh, a true orphan in the sense that both parents were, yeah, were deceased. Double orphan, thank yeah. you. It's like, my, my vernacular's struggling. But <laughs> um, he, so we, we chose him. All our kids were a part of this. And that was a beautiful um, experience to share mm-hmm. with our kids who, um, you know, our oldest who was still, you know, they all spoke Russian and Ukrainian when they came home. And, and I think that gets left out of the story sometimes, you know, and it's like, oh, we were suddenly outnumbered with <laughs> Russian speakers learning. It's funny, learning English. And at the time we were living in the deep south. And so it was really fun when our Ethiopian finally came home <laughs> and started to learn English from broken Russian speaking southern English <laughs> learning <laughs> You know, community, which was fantastic um, and just fun. But we, so our process in Ethiopia took eight months um, by the time we were able to finally, we got approved and then got to bring him home. And so... um, Beautiful picture, and I'm I'm going back. Going, okay, what was the beginning of your your question? Well, just we, I love how we've we've got to still have justice, though. Oh, just, justice, and so um, yeah, and the fact that uh, you know right now orphan adoptions are shut down in Ethiopia, and you're you're right, it's holistic. We can't mm-hmm. view this only. Not everyone's called to adopt. You know, not everyone should adopt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would caution about that. It's not a romantic story. It is really hard and. Um, there are so many other aspects of it and, and really a conversation piece that um, that is taking place and needs to continue to grow mm-hmm. within our church and in our um, ministry organizations is that on the prevention end of orphan mm-hmm. care. And so um, we definitely want to be reactive mm-hmm. and we want to care for all the brokenness of the system and the fallout, um, but we need to be proactive mm-hmm. in, in seeking to prevent orphans and, you know, supporting families mm-hmm. in crisis. And, and so in a situation like this, we want to, um, we, we need to react mm-hmm. and we need to not just give up and say, okay, well, forget Ethiopia. No, we right. don't forget Ethiopia. We, we go and we care for the workers mm-hmm. and we help um, support them and help them, you know, those who are on the ground building a healthier system. And yeah. Amen. Well, I know you said, it is tough, and recently at the Evangelicals for Life, they credited you with writing more phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, which uh, your husband wrote with the help of Dr. Rick, and so. But uh, one of the beautiful things I think you said is, or we were talking about is well, you live it though. Mm. You're living out orphanology and it is, mm. it is tough, but mm. God doesn't always call us to the easy mm. things. He calls us Praise to the God tough things. And so in a lot of ways, you know, y'all have been called to a lot of tough things. Mm. And the latest call has been to plant 
a multi-ethnic <laughs> church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love about Imago Day is it's it's reflecting this justice mm-hmm. call with deep gospel theological convictions. Mm-hmm. So just kind of as we close, talk a little bit about Imago Day and how, and I guess encourage other churches about, mm-hmm. you know, if as they're trying to develop this justice-minded, gospel-driven community, it's hard, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it can be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, a, a burden of ours, you know, as we were wrestling through this call to um, plant a church was, you know, what do we want to be in the DNA already as we plant? And so we would, <laughs> Tony and I, it's like, I, I don't know, kind of geeky little game we used to play when we would drive um, from where we were living in, in New Orleans and, and then Mississippi when we would commute up to family in Virginia and Kentucky, this game of name that church plan. Because <laughs> I know, surely you guys play that game, right? Um, but it was in the course of that, you know, we just kept coming back. You know, there's all these amazing choices and there are amazing church names out there that reflect the gospel. But we just kept coming back to the doctrine of Imago Day, And so um, people are made in the image of God and all people are inherently valuable as a result of that, who they reflect, their creator. And so um, we wanted to convey that from the, you know, the name of our church and, and through our, our ministry, through the teaching ministries and through our just community. Um, we want to see lives changed by the gospel. And so um, where does that apply? It does not just apply on the personal vertical mm-hmm. relationship. It's on our horizontal mm-hmm. responsibility to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, you know, just have tried to, from the pulpit, you know, preach that. And that's mm-hmm. preaching the gospel. <laughs> you know, the gospel is we're made in his image, creation, but as a result of the fall, the world is broken mm-hmm. and, and orphans are not a part of God's beautiful design. Um, you know, mm-hmm. abortion is not a part of God's beautiful design. Human trafficking, you know, racial mm-hmm. injustice, um, you know, euthanasia, that's not a part of God's beautiful design. But the good news is that we're not left in that brokenness. You know, God made a way through Christ, his mm-hmm. son, to redeem us from that place of hopelessness mm. and brokenness. Um, and because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and the reality that he is reigning today, we have hope because, and we have power. You know, he calls us and equips us, um, and he is the one who strengthens us and empowers mm. us and uh, walks with us as we seek to to live out a holistic mm. pro-life um, ethic. And, um, you know, the, the end of the gospel story is that one day he will come again and he will, he will wipe away every tear and he'll make every sad and evil thing come untrue. And so that's the hope that we live for. And so we want to be a gospel-centered church that conveys that message that we are not just us and them. It's all of us. And we are light to go shine in the darkness to expose um, injustice and engage in that. And um, so we try to, as a church, um, encourage people and their varied uh, giftedness um, and, you know, to recognize and identify their particular places of influence and encourage people to be faithful stewards of that, their resources, whether it's monetarily or their giftings or all of their, those things, and to um, pick a lane of seeking justice in, in the broad spectrum um, and run in it. And we want to support people in that. And uh, yeah, we're still figuring that out. We haven't arrived. <laughs> you know, we have big dreams and we know that the Lord is. Um, you know, he's sovereign and he's good and we just want to walk in what he brings us and we want to do it, you know, 
I think about Micah 6, 8, and it's, we're called to do justice, love mercy, mm. but walk humbly with our God. And mm. we don't have all the answers, um, and we need to realize that we need God, and we need His we need him to um, lead us and to empower mm. us and not to fall into a temptation to, you know, lean on our own understanding, which is a daily struggle for me, <laughs> but to, to trust in him and know that he will direct us and uh, he will, he gives, we want to operate all the strength that he provides, Amen. you know, so. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for not just being a hearer and not mm. just being a proclaimer of the mm. word, but also mm. being a doer. Mm. And y'all's lives just reflect that humble nature mm. of relying upon the Lord. Because mm. I know all of us would say it's not the good in us, but it's mm. the hope of the gospel yeah. in us that allows us to do this. So mm-hmm. thanks for being with us, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.